This is the Rock and Roll Podcast. I'm Eric Phillips and I wholeheartedly adore. Was that that door? Endorse. Endorse. Welcome along to episode two of the Rock and Gold podcast, the official podcast of Dumbarton Football Club. My name is Fraser Clark, and once more I'm joined by Suns TV's Chris McMillan to look back on another two victories, what lies ahead, and to provide some relief from the 24-hour coverage of a funeral somewhere else. Today we're also going to be joined by a man with the honour of being a member of two promotion-winning Suns sides. He was a product of Suns youth system, and his list of former teammates include Stevie Murray, Derek Carkery, Pat Walker, Scott Agnew, and Brian Prunty. It's almost all my childhood heroes. It's going to be current Suns defender and Clyde history maker, Martin McNiff. But before we get to Martin, we'll be looking back on a month that's had, well, not very many games in it. For, for reasons out with the control of the weather and COVID and all the usual stuff that has derailed us. I think at the paper, when I plan ahead, I never quite plan in the same way because of COVID. And I thought it's never going to be like you just get a sudden shutdown with games called off on a Friday when you're not expecting it. Oh, <laughs> a royal funeral or a royal death wasn't quite what I envisaged but fortunately I was away on holiday and had to leave it to my colleagues to deal with so there was nothing I could do about it yeah it did work out quite well for us I was on holiday as well so I wouldn't have been there to be fair but you know didn't have to keep my eye, my, my eye on it while, whilst I was uh, paying my respects and speaking <laughs> it worked out quite well from the extent of not missing a game until that game was rearranged for a Tuesday night and oh, do you know I've not noticed that actually. Yeah, it's this Tuesday night, and that is a very long way to go on a Tuesday night. Mm, oh well, <laughs> <laughs> one of the times when I'm really sad that I won't be able to go. So yeah, I will, for reasons I'm not sure of, be going down the 77. I mean, from sort of living in air and being at uni in air, I'm quite used to doing the 77 in the dark. The Stranart air leg in the dark after a defeat potentially does not sound like fun. Oh, you won't be able to get your fish and chips afterwards, will you? I know, there'll be no visit to the wee hurry and troon, yeah. which is the best fish and chip shop in the country. I would agree, yeah. I've not been to the one, there's one in Anistruther apparently that runs it quite close. But oh, I've not been there. Yeah, I've not been there either, but the wee hurry, if anyone has not been... And, and if anyone from the Wee Hurry and Troon is listening and would like to offer me and Chris McMillan a free fish supper, then we would take you up on that offer. Yeah, the Rock and Gold podcast sponsored by the Wee Hurry, that sounds not too bad, does it? <laughs> so there you go, get in touch, you're on Twitter, just give the club a shout and uh, aye, somebody will give you <laughs> give your details to pass on for a free chippy. So, we'll look back at the games that were, and the Elgin game was your first opportunity to look back or to see Suns in the flesh this season. And the first half was hugely disappointing. Massively disappointing. Uh, obviously, I'd seen the results, I'd seen some highlights, I'd you know, spoken to you, and everything was rosy. And then I got there and I saw the first half and I barely saw any difference to the Suns side that I saw last season. And it was, it was, it was quite strange. I feel like Elgin were everything Suns weren't in the first half. And Dumbarton just couldn't couldn't get anywhere close to them, they looked like confident. I said in the commentary actually during the game that Elgin were playing like the home side at times and okay, they, they maybe got a bit lucky with the goal. Well, lucky in, in two senses considering that the ball looked like it had maybe gone over the line and then the deflection that, that took the ball over Brett Long. But, you know, they took the chance and they were they were the better team for like the majority of the first half and actually like big chunks of the of the 90 minutes. I think the interesting thing about that game was that it highlighted the difference from last season in a way, in that in the first half, and Stevie Farrell admitted it, Ali Love admitted it, I think every player would admit it, Suns were miles off the standard required, but 
Last season, when Sons were miles off the standard required, the opposition had shot after shot after shot at goal. Even when Sons were off it, offensively, defensively the shape, saying this because Martin's obviously coming in and I can praise the defenders, but defensively the shape was decent because, you see, Elgin pretty much dominated the ball in that first half, had a really decent amount of the ball after we scored the second goal in the second half, but Brett Long didn't have an awful lot to do in the whole game. In fact, aside from the goal which... Yeah, it was out in the build-up. Yeah, it was deflected. But Kane Hester deserved a goal based on his first half performance. He looked really, really good. He probably ran Gregor Buchanan and Stuart Carswell as ragged as anyone has done in the league this season. But aside from a Brian Cameron shot that he just dithered a minute and Buchanan got across and charged it down, blocked it in the second half, they didn't really have an opportunity. And that's that's got to be a hugely positive sign that even when you're playing poorly in an offensive sense, defensively the shape was good enough that Elgin were seeing loads of the ball and really scratching their heads at how to how to put Brett Long into any sort of action. I'm glad you brought up that Brian Cameron chance, if you can call it a chance. I watched the game back <clears throat> over, the, over the last couple of days and that Cameron chance is pretty much the best opportunity that Elgin had in that second half. And that just moment of hesitation, you know, you just thought for all the world he was going to shoot. And the Suns defenders did as well and he, took, like, he, he hesitated and the chance was blocked. The other thing I wanted to pick up on as well, after the game, we were standing there and we saw um, Gavin Price doing his interview and he was so dejected. And I just wonder whether he thinks that Elgin could have maybe should have won that game just based on the amount of possession, the way that they played. The Elgin did not play badly. No. Did not play badly at all. But as you say, Dumbarton managed to get the job done and we, we, we've spoken off air about this game as well. And that is just the style of game, the way that the game went that I just see Dumbarton losing all day long last season. Maybe the season before as well. You get a bit lucky with the penalties, that's fine. But, you, you know, as I said earlier on, you've still got to score the penalties. You've got to... The momentum shifted up for maybe, you know, ten minutes, five, yeah. ten minutes, and then Elgin just kind of came back into it. But, yeah, it was it was quite an odd game. I was saying to you as well that when I did watch it back at the time live... I felt Dumbarton were really, really good in that second half. And when I watched it back, I don't think they were as good as I thought at the time. They did defend well. The shape was good. That was something that you had said before the game as well. That difference from last season, that the, the defensive shape was good. That they looked to be like tactically drilled and they looked difficult to beat. Yeah, and I think that was something that maybe came up against East Fife the following week and it's something that I wanted to touch on because Stevie Crawford after the game said you could see why Dumbarton are top of the league and I thought that was something that I thought about a lot on the way home from that game because I've said it a few times this season Suns aren't blowing teams away they're not putting four or five, six goals past teams you know you see these teams that win leagues by just running absolute riot Suns aren't doing that but what they are doing is something that I think every manager in the division would like they're not conceding a lot of goals they're taking their chances, their shape is good, and they're hard to break down. If you say to any manager in the division, would you take a start, you know, discount, maybe even discount the results, but would you take a start like Dumbarton's in terms of performances? I think every other manager in the league would say, yeah, absolutely, I would bite your hand off for it. And it's something that I think we might have said in commentary last season, is that when you play teams at the top end of the league, so think Airdrie and Cove last season, they knew how to win games, mm. they knew how to not lose games. How many times did Airdrie blow away Suns last season? They didn't. They came to Dumbarton a couple of times and, and they drew one, they won 1-1-0 with that goal from Dylan Easton. It was just that wee bit of quality and then keeping it tight at the other end and saying, OK, Dumbarton, break me down. And that's what Cove did and that's what Airdrie did last season and they had really successful seasons because of it. And I think that 
and they're a club that I go on about a lot, but maybe Montrose are the, are the perfect example of that, where how many times have you seen Montrose and gone, wow, this team are, you know, this team are leagues, streets above of everybody? You wouldn't. But you look at them and go, that's a team who believe in their manager, who have a great shape, who have a settled side, and who have confidence in each other. And the game, I flash back to it all the time, is a Montrose game in December last year, where Suns took the lead, Connor Duthie scored a really well-worked goal. They maybe could have been a couple more up, I think they hit the post. Montrose never panicked. Montrose kept doing exactly the same thing, he kept the same shape, and they won 3-1, and very deservedly so. And I think that we are seeing a sort of transition from a Dumbarton team last year where Stevie Farrell had to build a squad in three, four weeks to one that maybe he's been able to... I don't know how long in advance he'd be talking to players, but I know that when Brett Long signed, they said that he'd been a, a long-term target, you know, been somebody that they'd identified on their list of goalkeepers that they wanted to sign. And I don't doubt that it's the same for other players that he's brought in this summer. And whilst people maybe looked at Sun's business and went... Well, there's no big names. You know, Stenhousemuir signing Craig Bryson was the big name signing. It's obviously not worked out. He's hung up the boots. But he was the big name signing. Sons have done that before. And it's not worked out. Yeah, it seems like measured business, doesn't it? It seems calculated and, you know, it's, it's well thought out. Yeah. I, I, we mentioned it on the last podcast as well, in comparison to last season when, you know, everything just, even from the start, just seemed a bit panicked. And then the results, you know, after that, was it the opening month that, well, I yeah. think it was September last year when Stevie Farrell won manager of the month, <laughs> but we'll maybe get onto that. But um, after the results started going downhill a little bit, everything, you're just always on the back foot, constantly panicking, just like, we need to get this done, we need to get this strike, and then we need to, you know, and then, this, you know, if we're talking about Oyensen's injured, and like, we need to get him back, and there was always just something kind of like lurking in the back of the head, and this just seems a lot more measured and calm and you've been able to get more players on the pitch, a more settled formation, you're seeing it as well. So when you were talking about Montrose there, I was thinking exactly the same thing, especially when I was watching that game. That was like one of the most just calm, composed sides I saw at that level and they executed it perfectly in that game against Dumbarton. And I was almost going to use it as a little segue into the East Fife game because I felt like, albeit I only saw the highlights of that game, but that was more of what Dumbarton did to East Fife in that game. Right, so you talk about that moment of quality. Declan Byrne had that moment of quality, didn't he? And a loose pass, the ball gets played forward, he's ready to go, he knows what he wants to do, and it's just that moment of quality finding the bottom corner, and that sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, and the East Fife game actually was was maybe a wee bit unusual in that I would say that's possibly the most chances Suns have created in a game for a wee while. But for the last 10 minutes, East Fife threw everything at it, and I don't know if it's fair to say it's the most rocky Suns have looked defensively, but there was a stage where you think East Fife are throwing everything at this, they hit the bar, like they're going to get a really good chance, and it didn't actually come. But the fact that they had to throw everything forward to try and achieve that says that again that Suns were well set up defensively. I think when I spoke to Stevie Farrell afterwards, um, the thing that had frustrated them was that Suns didn't put that game beyond doubt earlier. I think that was, was probably fair because. The stats, I'm sure, will say that Dumbarton had only one or two shots on target. Um, but they had Declan Byrne hit the post about 40 seconds after he gave Suns the lead. It's almost him. identical With, to the, yeah. the, the goal as well. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And he could have had two or three as well. Like, he could have done. He had a game. chance on the edge of the box. Finn Gray had a chance on the edge of the box. There was one where Ryan Wallace put it across goal and John Gemmell, he will say he was offside. Um, so it wouldn't have counted anyway. But you know, it looked for all the world like he was going to just touch it in at the back post. So there's... That was a strange game in that this season Suns have maybe not created an awful lot, but been clinical and given away nothing at the back. There, they maybe looked a wee bit rockier at the back, still got a clean sheet, still Brett Long didn't have a great deal to do, 
but they also created a lot but weren't quite as clinical. And I don't know, you know, if, if I was going to be hugely pessimistic, I'd say that the one thing that Stevie Farrell will have left that ground going is we need to be more clinical. And we need, because it's not that we got away with it. Like Stevie Crawford said, Dumbarton deserved to win. Maybe they could have taken a point, but Dumbarton deserved to win. I think everybody would probably agree with that. But there's going to be games, and so far this season, Suns have been so good at being clinical, taking their chances. There's going to be games this season where they'll be punished if they don't. Well, there's going to be games when that shot that hits the bar drops into the net. Yeah. yeah. And you come away with a point instead of all three. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the only criticism I could have, I think, of that performance. Or, to be honest, eh, the Elgin, obviously, first half performance wasn't great, but Suns turned the game around. I thought it was interesting. Ali Love spoke about the fact that half-time players were basically saying to each other, look, this isn't good enough. Because that's, for me, as somebody who's never set foot inside a professional football dressing room, this is close, but, you know, literally and, and metaphorically this is close, but um, I think that's quite a good sign, because... It's a sign of a team that has belief in each other. And if you think about you at work, or me at work, are you going to listen more to your boss going off on one and going, that's not good enough? Are you going to listen more to the guys you work with going, come on, like we've not been good enough here? And for me, every day of the week, if one of the other reporters at the paper says, look, we've not pulled our weight this week or whatever, then I listen more to that than if my editor, and I hope Lindsay's not listening, but if my editor was to go off on one and say, like, you guys haven't been good enough because you know yourself you haven't been good enough. And the players would know themselves that first half wasn't good enough. It's good that they've set high standards. They came out, they rectified it in the second half, up the road with three points, and that's all you can really ask for. As you can see, we're now joined by a man with the honour of being a member of two promotion-winning Suns sides. He was a product of Suns youth system and his list of former teammates include Stevie Murray, Derek Carcray, Pat Walker, Scott Agnew and Brian Prunty. And I said beforehand, almost all of my childhood heroes. So it's current Suns defender and Clyde history maker, Martin McNiff. Martin, thank you very much for joining nah, us on a game day. Thank you. So let's jump right back to the start. You're from Clydebank originally, I think, aren't you? So yeah. how did how did you end up crossing the West Dumbartonshire divide and, and becoming a Dumbarton player? Uh, it's a funny story how it all began. I, I was mostly playing boys club with Clydebank and my brother played amateur football for a team through here called Leaving Valley. Um, I was about 16 at the time, but they were always kind of, I was training with them and things like that and eventually ended up started playing with them. Um, and one of the guys that played there, um, his name Kenny, he was the striker and he was also the 19s coach, at the, sorry, 17s coach at the time. And he was the one that tried to get me through. Um, I wasn't too keen to begin with and it wasn't anything to do with the Barton, it was more, I just wasn't a big fan of pro youth when I was younger. Um, I don't know, it's for several reasons why, but when I, Kenny said, like, you'll enjoy it, all the boys are great, um, see how you get on, came through and, uh, you know, Tony Wallace was there, there was a couple of players that ended up going first team, Kieran Brannan, and just straight away I got a good wee buzz for it, um, and uh, it just all started for there, it was Kenny, Kenny McComish that, that started it all. I also want to just ask right off the bat as well, that the question that all fullbacks get asked did you start as a fullback or did you Absolutely get moved not. to? Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, I've always been a centre half, um, just growing up and things. Probably, you know, as I got into the professional, it maybe just been, you know, I was always tall and stuff like that, but maybe strength wise was always something that, um, and I always had a bit of pace as well. So I think that's how managers maybe seen me. Oh, I could maybe play left backs. Obviously, the modern day fullback now is I'm almost like wingers, but. When I was first coming through, being just a good defender as a left-back was something that managers liked. So, you know, I played there and I think those are times I played holding mid as well, just with, with the physicality as well. So, no, I've moved about and obviously, like, I've probably the age I'm at now, 
you know, left back, centre half seems to be more of my, my position now. I was going to say that. I remember you playing centre mid quite a wee bit. Yeah, in the first when I first came through, I think it was Chapman uh, that liked me playing in there. Just that I wasn't technically great. It was just to win headers, tackles, and and you know, give it to the boys that can play. So it was just a simple, simple job he gave me, and you know, I enjoyed that. It was great, and obviously getting you know, taster that professional football was great. This is something that I'm not expecting you to remember, but I'm sure I remember you wearing the number 10 shirt one day and playing central midfield, which... Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what it would have been? It probably would have been under Chapman because he was quite superstitious with numbers, so I'm, I'd imagine somebody who was wearing number 10 the week before might have got injured and they won, and I've ended up coming in and I have to take the injured shirt rather than just shifting it about. I was going to say 10 in central midfield, that's a real vote of confidence, isn't it? Like, you, you've got to do something, yeah. you've got to make something happen nah, wearing you're that. You're getting nothing for me. <laughs> so take me back then to 2008-9 and that sunside that you were kind of on the fringes of, mainly playing for the youth yeah. team, but you made your debut that season. And yeah, take me into that sort of dressing room environment because there was some really, really good players in there, oh. older heads and... Then I guess younger guys like Andy Gagan was back here last season, Ben Gordon stepping yeah. up to senior football and of course Gordon Lennon as well. Yeah, so much experience in that dressing room. And it, you know, coming for part-time youth level, going into like a changing room, you know, you don't maybe expect to find so many good pros, no disrespect, but you know, if you're maybe at a Rangers selling and you expect to see all these high-level pros, but I'm walking in, you've got guys like Stevie Murray, Ryan McStay, you know, these are guys that not long before them was playing Premier, you know, Premier League and Championship and stuff. So it was great, and you know, in terms of uh, as an apprentice coming through, you know, the the grounded you well coming, and I, th I don't know if it's anything to do with it, but you see how many youth boys eventually end up go through and make it. Um, you know, with, I think at that point there was about four or five of us took a wee jump up. And, you know, it all starts for them, you know, giving us a discipline because when you're at youth level, it's a totally different experience to when you walk in a first-team dressing room. And, you know, obviously Gordon Lennon as well. He was somebody that, you know, for a captain, was just great for own boy when you first came in. Um, you know, he just took you under a wing. He would always talk to you because it's... When you come through youths, there's no denying it. Like, some of the boys, you, you need to go through a hard time when you come through the youths and boys are on, on it you tight. But, uh, let's say, Gordon was brilliant. With, with the boys, he would always like if he could see you're a wee bit down, he knew straight away come right over. And now it was just a great environment. Um, I didn't train as much, probably more towards the end of the season. Um, I started getting in quite a lot with the training and stuff, but uh, yeah, that team was was fantastic. And the run they went on towards the end of the season, I mean, I came every single game, watched it, and it was just absolute joy to watch. What's the biggest change that you had coming from 20s football or 19s or whatever it would have been back then to the first team is it because you obviously you were very good physically but I'm guessing you could be really good physically at 17s or 19s and then you step into the first team and actually you realise hang on a minute here yeah. there's John Gemmels of this world yeah <laughs> people just do a lot of different things I feel when you play youth football I'm not saying it's it was predictable but you can always kind of gauge what people are doing but as you get up the leagues and the levels it's just the intelligence of players just maybe going into areas that you you you, you know yourself you don't want to go into. Um, I was just used to play against strikers that either one wanted to maybe pin me if they were a tall striker or just wanted to run in behind. But when you go to the higher levels, there's just so much good movements, intelligent players. And yeah, it's just getting your head around that to begin with, I think. Because let's say fitness-wise, when you're a young boy, you should be you know at the top end most of the time because you're just naturally fit. But uh, when you're playing against actual men, it's just, you know, being switched on at all times and making sure that you're just concentrating because, you know, that split seconds just the difference at times. So I guess you'd get, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, forwards that 
would maybe be a bit more one-dimensional when you're youth. And then when you move up uh, and then maybe they've got a bit, a little bit more of, of, of different sides of their game, you know? Yeah, I mean, you just, yeah, it's hard to explain because, like, let's say, I mean, I'm not saying there's no intelligent young players as well, there definitely is. It's just, let's say, when you're younger, I feel like, obviously, the older they get and the more experienced they get, just mm. they do more intelligent things, like going into wee spaces, making runs in behind at the right times that maybe you're not expecting them to do. And, you know, it's... It's just trying to get your head around and, and getting up to speed with that that game intelligence and yeah, let's say it was. It takes a bit of time, but it's yeah, it's one of those ones. Asking you a question now that John Gemmell didn't know the answer to, but what do you remember from your debut? It was against Albion Rovers at Clifton Hill. Yeah. You were a late sub in that game. What do you remember of it? I do remember quite a bit about it. To be fair, not like the whole build up or, or much about the game. I, I remember we were quite comfortably winning. I think it might have been three 0 three one maybe. Um, 10 minutes ago and it was just yeah see you're just kind of warming up and you're thinking you know maybe if, you never know because I think if you but it was a Clifton Hill part terrible and I think the boys were doing their feet so you're thinking maybe there's a wee chance here because I think it was between me and maybe another young boy so I thought who knows and yeah just get the call up and that was a centre mid shout I'm sure I'm sure he put me in because it was Ross Clark that came off and I've ended up the run for Roscoe um, and I think I had like two touches of the ball if I'm lucky you know what I was like it's just centre mid it's going over my head the whole time and I just it's great experience like see just be able to get that first marker down though it's, it's vital like just to it gives you that wee drive to, to keep going and you know that there's a you know you want more games so just you know you're going into training and you're trying even harder than what you were because you're thinking I want more of this It'd be interesting if you could handle centre mid at Clifton. <laughs> Clifton, you could probably do anything. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. I got away with it. I mean, it's obviously a young boy nervous as heck, and let's say it's probably one of those ones where you're thinking, like, just don't make a mistake. Yeah. We're not in the park, not why I make mistakes. So it's probably not a bad thing that the ball didn't come to me very many times. <laughs> so I'm thinking, if I make a mistake, I'm, I'm done here. So. It was Jim Chapman who gave you your debut. Yeah. And Jim Chapman brought you into the side a bit more, and he's someone you've worked with a lot from yeah. throughout your career. So, what's Jim Chapman like as a manager? What was he like to work under? He's great with young people, brilliant. Um, and as you can see, I've said a few times already, just you know the amount of young boys that came through, he wasn't scared to give us a chance. And um, yeah, just great man management for, for young boys. You know, he, he looks after you well, and, and you know, you, you just feel confident with him going into the pitch. And even when you're playing young boy, and you're thinking like, oh, am I good enough for this? It just made you feel like a million dollars here going in the park and. Wanted to express yourself. So in terms of like having a first manager, it was it was perfect for me. Perfect. How big an influence has he been throughout your career? Then, because obviously you'd have worked with him at Annan, and yeah. was he the man who took you to Clyde? And... Um, no, he came the season after I joined Clyde. So, but Annan, that was at a good time for me as well. Where obviously with Dumbarton, had great success going into the championship and um, championship wise. Looking at looking back, my levels are stand like my standard levels. I, I feel I was disappointed myself, and I did get an injury around the time Ian Murray came in. It's a lot of jumps in short succession with the promotions yeah. as well, I suppose. Yeah, so I was probably twenty twenty one, and you know, going for a high. Looking at the young me, you know, did I just maybe get a bit ahead of myself, thinking, oh yeah, I've got promoted to the championship, I'm a championship player, maybe. But you know, you get to like that kind of. January time I got injured the new managers came in and I think he maybe brought a couple of players in Scotty Linton and things like that um, so at that point I'm thinking I don't know if I'm going to get much game time you know I don't deserve it the way I've, I feel like I've not performed as good as I know so Chapman at that time you know he was actually at the game it was one of the games here um, I was in the stands and Chapman came over and said look I'm going to get an Annan job next week nobody knows yet but um, I'm looking at you to come, come in um, 
you know, if you're if you're interested. So I was, you know, straight away thought that was a great chance for me to just go play and enjoy again. Um, and I also helped at the Rangers in the league at that time. So I thought <laughs> Rangers at Ibrox was I checked the calendar, it was like March time, so I thought right, that's a, that extra incentive to go to that level. So Obviously Jim Chapman left and was replaced by Alan Adamson, who was his assistant at the time. Yeah. What what changed around about that time? Because I remember Alan Adamson's first game, he brought in a lot of younger players. So yeah. what you would have started that, I'm pretty sure Ryan yeah. Metcalf came in, uh, would have been Gary McKell on the fringes of things. Like he gave a lot of trust to younger players. So what what changed between Alan Adamson and, and Jim Chapman? Um I mean look he came in just tried to make things as simple as possible in terms of training and that. I think it was probably like, a, I'd probably manager still do it now, but I think that was a kind of old style thing when you're not doing very well, which we weren't at that time. It's just like, well, we may as well give the youth a chance and, and throw them in and see how they get on because we can't be doing any worse than what we're doing now. And that's what I, I think Alan done. He just, I think he noticed we had a good youth set up. There was a lot of good young players coming through and, and doing well in training. And he just, yeah, threw us in for that, that game. Um, for the life of me, I can't know the score of what that game was. One you can probably one. tell me. <laughs> this is the man to ask you, I don't worry. Uh, so I, I couldn't fully remember it, but yeah, I remember. I, I do remember it being a good day because I remember we were all buzzing and it was probably, I feel it was around October time and that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just, I say managers used to do it quite a lot back in the day when their teams weren't doing so well and it, you know, it worked for us and yeah, it's great. I feel like it's a thing that a lot of fans call for as well when they're watching their team. If they're in a bad run, yeah. if a new manager comes in, you, I'm not saying that it, I'm not saying that it's always right, but you seem to always see fans just going, oh, just like if we're not doing well, give the kids a few yeah. games and things like that. But if you've got a manager who's got faith in these kids, and if you're old enough, you're good enough, then yeah, yeah. fair enough. But. Probably psychologically for the first team players as well. If if they're getting dropped for a young boy, hmm. I think the manager's looking for a reaction off them to say, look, you're. You know, if there's a 17, 18 year old kid playing in front of you today, like either you know raise your levels or this is going to keep happening. Mm -hmm. So it's there's probably a bit twofold towards it, but obviously it worked out well for the manager in the day. And then that summer, the following summer, was uh, when Alan Adamson pulled off some of the greatest recruitment of all time. As far as I'm concerned, he brought in Alan Lithgow, he played alongside you, he brought yeah. in Scott Agnew, he brought in Brian Prunty, brought in a host of really, really good players that summer. What was the mood around the club? Because Suns had narrowly avoided relegation the season before. And then they made these signings that I think everybody kind of sat up and, and paid a bit of attention to. Yeah, I mean, even at my young age, I always kept a wee eye on quite a lot of the leagues and stuff like that. And you, you start noticing players and you always think, oh, he's a good player and he's and that. Pranty was definitely one of them. You always remember playing against him at Aloha and you're thinking, God, he's he's a good player. So, you know, bringing guys like him that you knew, Lifko, I remember Tim Clyde at the time, and I thought, yeah, he's another good player. So you just start noticing, and, you know, bits coming in that you're thinking, these are good players, but... Do you, I think every team always going into the season hopeful, but you never really think like, oh, can we win the league or can we do something special with this? You just you, you hope it gels at the time, and, and you know you get maybe a bit of luck along the way. Um, you know, he signed other guys like Kev that didn't know too well when he joined, but he was an Arclight boy, um, and we got on obviously great. And I think the team spirit that season and just slowly grew, just with the great characters that were in that changing room because there was a so many of them. Yeah. What talk me through the memories of that that day in Airdrie then? And yeah. also I suppose the first leg as well, because that was live on T V, that was a huge occasion for the club. And yeah, talk me through the memories of that that whole playoff final because yeah. it was an incredible couple of days. Yeah, well the first leg, I mean, it's hard to not know it's on telly. I mean you turn up and it's totally different. I mean you go outside where you usually just before the game and you're just seeing cameras everywhere and you you, you just sense it's a big occasion but 
you know, I think it's good nerves you get before games like that, or, you know, for me certainly anyway, you know, I feel like it just gets your mind more focused than, than probably normal and you just hope that everything plans out, but... Yeah, the first leg, I mean, the only thing I remember for playoffs most of the time is Tony Wallace, like, I don't know where he came from, <laughs> just all season, it was just up and down, up and down, and then playoffs, he just became a different different player altogether, so I remember that game, just him against the boy Lovren, wasn't it, the yeah. kind of more experienced guy, and just, I always remember playing against him and thinking, like, just, you know, horrible player, like, probably really nice off it, but on the park, <laughs> just horrible to play against. But I just thought Tony was just, you know, punch for punch, giving them just as good as he got and um, played an, obviously an excellent game. And it was quite a tight one though, wasn't yeah, it? 2-1 the first leg. 2-1 the first leg. Oh yeah, they got a wee goal, didn't they? And then the second leg, you know, you're, you're going into it. Just, it's hard. I always feel like when you're winning and you've got a second leg to play, it's like, what do you do? Do, do you go for that other goal? Do you try and hold off? And I don't know if we were in that situation when we were in because I felt it was quite a nervous start to the game. Do you remember what the instruction was in terms of whether to go for it or sit back? Alan just, he was always wanting to win, um, to give him his due, he, you know, he always put a team out, just wanted to go and make sure that we won, he didn't want to be negative so he, he put the same team out that he thought would, would win the game, um, but as players sometimes, you know, you, you think game management, what do we do here, and obviously let's say the start of the game I just remember being quite nervy and not much happening until obviously a wee bit of brilliance, I'm sure it was Aggies. Aggie's great ball over to Darko. You're watching in your head right now. Um. Yeah, so you know, as soon as you get that goal, you're just you're just thinking, brilliant, great. We've got a two goal cushion now. That's great. And then I think it was very quickly we got the second goal, wasn't it? Darko yeah. again, and you're just thinking, wow, like we can only lose it now. We just need to keep focused, game managed it. And I think that's something we've done great in the second half. I do remember it just at some point. It might even been like. 15, 20 minutes, 15, 10 minutes to go and we were passing the ball about and it was a wee bit of and yeah. stuff and you're just like, I, you don't want to get carried away but that's at the moment you're thinking like, I think we've, we've done this, you know what I mean, like you're just worrying, you're just waiting for that whistle to go and it's just euphoria once you win it, you don't really know what happens the first 5-10 minutes, you're just, he's all over the place, you know, your family's coming on, the fans are on the pitch and you're just, ah, it's listening, it's memories, that's why you play football for, I'll put it that way, that's why I wanted to play just for for occasions like that, it was just special. And what does it feel like to play a nice, simple two-yard ball and get an ole? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't get it very often, <laughs> but uh, uh, let's say it was just it just gets your head on. It's hard because you try and blank out. Because as soon as you're the ole's, you're like, you, I think they got a sending off actually. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's when I start thinking like, God, they're going. Somebody's going to smash me or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> and it was crazy. Get the smash. I'm yep. sure. Crazy, but uh, it was. You do try and switch off it because obviously it's great for the fans. That's what you know they're coming here for. But as players, we know there's still ten minutes and there's a lot of weirder things happening in football in ten minutes. So you just got to keep yourself composed as best you can. I felt like James Craney got smashed quite a lot by opposition yeah. players that season. Was <laughs> it like, why, why was it just because he was quite wee and people thought they could? Him? I don't what know. Was the deal? I think it was one of his players as well. Like he could he could make a foul look ten times worse than what it was as well. Put it that way, but. I think he did get hit that day, I'll give him his due, I think he did get Because he was about eight stone and he went really down the Yeah, so how soon, so I spoke to Alan Adamson back in May time uh, about yeah. that and he said that it was almost like sons got promoted and then there was, a, there was celebrations and then there was a wee bit of a shock around the club and it was almost like, ah, well, we weren't really banking on this, so now what? What was the kind of mood amongst the players looking ahead? Because you look at that championship and you had teams like Falkirk, Partick Thistle, who budgets would have been five, ten times Sun's budget, and 
I think once the elation died down, there was a wee bit of realism that came in, and Suns fans started to think, "Hold on a minute, here, this is this is a different kettle of fish entirely." Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we try to not really think about it. It's just w- when you come get promoted, I think every team's the same. Where you just have that confidence that you can go again, and you know, we did have a really good team spirit at that point. So we're thinking, uh, for me as well, I think World League's team spirit's a, a massive thing. So if you've got that in a, a team, you you know, that can be half the battle sometimes. So because we had that, we did feel, you know, we could have a wee go here. Obviously, we knew, if, I think that was the time when Airdrie got yeah. just brought up, didn't they? So we started to think, like, well, there is maybe a couple of teams that we can, you know, that we fancy ourselves against, no disrespect to them. But, you know, I think we kind of went that season maybe with a fair bit of confidence, maybe a bit more normal, but I think that's just with the promotion and stuff like that. Yeah. The Airdrie thing is interesting that you just touched on there. I, I presume that this isn't the case whatsoever, but I just wondered whether there was any thought, because they got brought up because of the Rangers situation, yeah. was there any any thought about, you know, even if we'd have lost that game, we would have gone up anyway? Nah, didn't nah, take anything nah, away from it? No. I, I think it was just that way of, like... Nah, I don't, I don't think MD ever thought that. It was just... Um, just obviously what they'd done. Mm. I, I don't think I had any feelings on it at the time, but it was probably one of those ones where you're just probably gave you a bit more confidence in the league thinking well there's a team that should be a league one team yeah. down the championship so in terms of you know our survival which was probably the aim for us like, to be perfectly honest was we're thinking well that's gave us maybe a better Gives chance rival, yeah, yeah. Maybe a better chance we've gone through all this podcast without talking about son's assistant manager around about that time who's been massively in the news over the past couple of weeks in jack ross what yeah. was jack ross like to work under i love jack um i thought in terms of coaching it was just totally different for what experience when he first came in um, it was one of those ones where now, you know, even at the time, you could think he's going to go far. Like just the way he prepared training, even some of his team talks, um, it was quite common. So what we would do is in the dressing room, Alan would have his speech, and uh, again, Alan was just short and sweet. But most of his speech, it was just like go play, express yourself. Never, never any opposition. It was just all about us. And it wasn't until we probably went in the warm up with Jacko, and Jacko would get us together, and he would give us another team talk, and. Yeah, some of them he gave us, it's like, like hairs in the back of your neck type stuff. It was just, <laughs> he's, I taught, in terms of talking, brilliant. I say training was unbelievable, just it was so organised, it was short, it was sharp. It's just something not, I wasn't used to at the time, because a lot of time you go like part-time, it's like one drill gets set up and then you need to go away and go a wee jog in the park for the second drill. But he had everything just laid out and I'm thinking, wow, this is what professionalism looks like. And... Yeah, he just raised the standards, and I think like when he came in, you could probably pinpoint like when he came in to when you seen our results since he came in, there was it was a difference because I mean that season we went first five or six games lost in a row or something yeah. if I remember right. Yeah. So it was, you know, for that to to obviously going in the form that we did, I, I think he's got to take massive credit for that definitely. Obviously, your time at Dumbarton came to an end, like you said, when you went out to Anne, and I think initially on loan. Is there a wee bit of disappointment that you didn't get more of a chance under Ian Murray, or do you just kind of think, well, like, right, nah, I look at myself before, you know, looking at managers and stuff like that, and let's say I feel like when I was, I, I feel like I was given a, a decent chance, especially at the start of the season. I think Alan kind of mostly kept roughly the same team as the season before and, and gave us a bit of loyalty, but. You know, looking back, I, I just feel I let myself down a wee bit with, with some of the games and that. Um, I don't know if it was maybe pre-season, like, I, you know, I don't know if I maybe pushed this out in pre-season as much as I could and stuff like that. So, I, like, I look back at the young being and think I probably could have done more. So, um, I, I, I look at myself for disappointment rather than anybody else. 
Here's a question that I've been dying to ask you as Bonnie Riggs strokes on start the tunes in the background, but a question that I've been dying to ask you because I love asking players this. Throughout your time at Dumbarton, who was the most underrated, underappreciated player that you played with? Oh. See, I don't know. See, I, I love Big Kev, mate. I, I thought, I know he was over, probably a bit overrated with fans at the time, you just loved him, but I think underrated. Except just in terms of like Kev was somebody I just thought he, like we were we couldn't replace at the time. Like seeing that league, the way that teams played at that time, you just needed somebody in there that done his job. It, it was just crucial, and I think that was a massive part of what we done. Um, and in terms of what I'm saying, underrated is like he had ability to play higher level. He did, and he was another unfortunate one for the championship. Well. Like, he got a lot of injuries, I think he got hair there around that time and then he ended up going out on loan as well but he never really got a chance at really the championship which I felt he deserved probably more than more than most of us just with the way he played the season before um, I mean I can't really think of somebody like under the radar as such you know I feel like everybody I've played with you know you'll know most of them if they've played at a high level you'll know so nah I'd probably say Kev just with the, the whole sub- championship thing I feel like if he had a good crack at that the age he was at he was at a good age at the time I feel he could have kicked on certainly just before we let you go uh, and stop having to listen to whoever's playing music in the background <laughs> but just before we let you go this season the start of the season obviously we're recording this before Bonnie Riggs so who knows what's going to happen but the start of the season has been phenomenal how confident are you that Suns can keep that up and do you sense that there's the right team spirit that you spoke about that successful teams have in that dressing room Um. I try and not get ahead of myself now. Um, I don't know if it's maybe just with age or things, but you know we've touched on it before. I mean, we went season we get promoted in Barton, we lost our first six games, you know, and obviously now we've won, um, you know, the six games here. So it's it shows you how much it can change. We get promoted that year. Um, there's guys in that dressing room that have played with teams that have been 18 points plus clear and still not win the league. So. You've got to switch off it and take it you know, one game at a time. That's certainly something that I'm, I'm doing. Um, every game in this league is going to be difficult, regardless if you're home or away. I feel like every team is at a similar level, and I think I've said that in previous interviews. Um, I do think we've got the team spirit, um, and it's just one of those ones as well. Like Everything's going so great and well. I think maybe the League Cup could maybe have covered this off, but it would be interesting. We're, we're not going to win every game, we'll be honest. So there's going to be a defeat eventually, and, that, and you know, that's going to be where you'll notice at that point. I think that you that's when you notice a lot more things than you do when you're winning. When you're winning, everything's great. But when you do get that defeat, it's about how you react, how the boys are, you know, and, and make sure the standards grow. And, and if it's going to be one defeat, make sure it stays one defeat. Don't let it grow to two and three. Um, and say that'll be when we'll probably really notice how the, the character is in the team. But I feel for now, what I'm noticing compared to teams I've been at, it's a great environment in there. Um, boys are just even the boys are only playing now that can feel unfortunate. You know, there's some great players we've got on our bench right now that just can't get in. And you know, the manager's rightfully probably looking and thinking these guys that are playing deserves because we're winning. But the guys that aren't playing, you know, great players, and you know they are still behind the team fully. There's nobody in that dressing room that I look at and think like it's just you know he's disappointed for himself or anything like that. They're getting their disappointments over quickly and make sure they support the team. It's a great trip, so you know I'm hopeful, but 
try and not get ahead of myself. As long as that think I've got enough experience. As long as that winning run continues today, Martin. Thank you very much for nah, your time. Pleasure. Thank you. And aye, especially for joining us on a match day. Much appreciated. Nah, no you. problem. All the best for the rest of the season, guys. Cheers. It's Cheers. too good, too bad. Welcome back to the Drop and Goal podcast and to Too Good, Too Bad, the section where we take our two good things from this. Well, I was going to say month of SPFL football. It doesn't really feel like a month since we last did this podcast. And the two bad things. Uh, and I was like two of each. No, it's, it's, it's one, two, one between... A two bad and a two good, right? Yeah, that's that sort of confused me slightly. Yeah. But yeah, I've got yeah. my two lined up, you've got your two lined up, mm-hmm. and I want to start with my good, and I want to start by apologising to Edinburgh City for bodying them hard on the last podcast. We, we both did. Yeah, we both did. They still have a silly stadium, they still have a silly team name, they do have quite a nice kit, and as it turns out, they're an excellent football team. They blew away Airdrie. Okay, Airdrie went down to 10 men, but they absolutely blew away Airdrie uh, at the Excelsior Stadium last month or a couple of weeks ago. I've kind of lost track of time at the moment, but they are sitting, as we record this podcast, second in League One, which I don't think anyone had quite envisaged coming for them. They've done some really good business over the window, and that, for me, was just culminated by adding James Cragen from Arbroath, who scored twice in his debut, and who, for me, is a, a top-end League One, probably a mid-table championship player and a real coup for Edinburgh City. So, yeah, they might have a silly stadium, they might have a silly name, but what a football team that they are putting together at the moment. And maybe, just maybe, they could be dark horses to get in the playoffs in League One. After the start they've made, I mean, listen, why not? Why not? Why not at all? You didn't mention the fact that they beat Clyde as well, who obviously had a really good start and... Yeah, fair enough. I think the apology is uh, warranted and I think it was a lovely apology. Yeah, it was really very much from the heart. And <laughs> you could tell that because I prefixed it by saying the things I didn't like about them. Although I do like their kit and see the fact it's got FC Edinburgh on the back and then the name underneath. I thought that looked gimmicky and tacky and horrible. Uh, but now they're quite good at football. I now quite you've like got it. full Bundesliga on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fully bought into it. So yeah, yeah big ups to FC, Ed- FC Edinburgh and their silly name. They are written down in my notes as Edinburgh City as well, which just sounds far nicer. But... You know, another thing, just on the subject of wee things that irritate me, and this will be a bit of the podcast where everyone will turn off because there's so many things that irritate me, but see on Wikipedia now, if you play for Edinburgh City, instead of having FC Edinburgh or Edinburgh City, it just has Edinburgh. I really, really don't like that. Like, no, just get rid of that. (laughs) Just just have FC Edinburgh on it, Wikipedia admins, who I know are really, really, um, what's the word I can say in the podcast, pernickety about these things, but... I can't deal with going on Sam Ramsbottom's Wikipedia page and just seeing Edinburgh on it rather than <laughs> FC Edinburgh or Edinburgh City or whatever. So they are my good for this previous period that we've done. Okay, so my good, I'm probably going to annoy the Edinburgh <laughs> FC Edinburgh fans <laughs> uh, if they if they are listening, but I suspect they won't. If they were last week, they definitely won't this week. So no. they probably didn't even hear your apology and praise. My grovelling apology. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But listen, it's an easy answer, but I just can't think of another one. And it, it's it's just Dumbarton as a club, as a, as a whole at the moment. I was going to say it last on the last podcast, but since then, beating Elgin City, so rewriting the record books, it was the best start since 59, it's now the best start ever, then followed it up with a win at East Fife. Ali loves scoring twice in that game against Elgin after the, the week that he'd had that we're not particularly going to touch on. And ahead of the game against Bonnie Rig when there's you know there's some a couple of demons to be to be slayed, I suppose as well. And if they do that, that will equal seven league wins on the spin, which hasn't been done for fifty years. It's just does it get any better? Even even if the you know the 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 end of the run comes today, you know, it's still it's been just magnificent and it's a start no one's re- 
probably really saw coming. Certainly not this good, and that's why they're 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 just they've just been too good. Yeah, and I think if you look at Dumbarton from the outside, you would be saying if if I was doing the FC Edinburgh podcast, for example, and you're very welcome to invite me on if Bet you want. <laughs> <laughs> but if I was doing the FC Edinburgh podcast uh, and I was asked to do this for League Two, then I would pick Dumbarton every day of the week. I just don't do it because we've already got the uh, got the manager of the month course, the player of the month course. And uh, in the last podcast, I praised Clyde in League One, and they've gone to a word I can't say on the podcast since then, as it would appear. So, are you suggesting there may be a Fraser Clark curse in the future? Well, it plus the League Manager of the Month plus the League Player of the Month curse. So, what know, would happen if you started awarding the? <laughs> if you started <laughs> handing over the the award every month? I can tell you, if I was in charge of handing out the awards, Stevie Farrell would have called me into his office and told me that, in no uncertain terms, he did not want one of those awards. Mm. Uh, my too bad uh, is a team who I think you could have mentioned in the too good if we'd done this podcast last season every single month, and it's our broth who have had an absolutely dreadful start to season. They are shedding players at an alarming rate. Now, I understand um, that some people are saying, you know, James Cragen's gone, uh, he didn't start every game. Jason Thompson's gone, he's getting on a wee bit. Uh, Nicky Lowe left uh, to go to Kelty Hearts because it's uh, 15 minutes closer to Greenock than our growth is. But <laughs> for me, looking from the outside, that's a big warning sign. Mm. Now, Nicky Lowe, the Nicky Lowe one... I understand that he wanted to be closer to home and I think that ideally his move would have been to Morton it's the club he supports, he's from Greenock and all that stuff but the fact that he left Ardroath to sign for Kelty Hearts on loan said that he didn't even want to stomach being there for much longer, the fact that a player like James Cragen who for my money and I, I spoke about earlier on the podcast a really good player uh, stepped down to FC Edinburgh the fact that Jason Thompson who was you know, a really dependable solid player and, and always struck me as a bit of a model pro, a bit of an inspiration for guys around them. The fact that they've all left the club, I think it's a big blow to the dressing room. And if I was looking at that from you know from the outside as an Arbroath fan, I would be concerned. It would be, you know, take players in Dumbarton squad at the moment who maybe aren't involved that much, but who are either good players or who you think would be good guys to have around the changing room. They all started leaving. I would be a bit worried. On top of that, the recruitment has been suspect. Dick Campbell's always said that he won't bring in a player unless he improves what he's got. Well, this summer, they've brought in a lot of players who haven't improved what they've got and they've lost players who are who are really good championship players and who would have been very solid. I don't think they could have repeated what they did last season, but I think they would have been a solid enough championship team. And now I'm looking at them and thinking, unless some rabbit's pulled out the hat, unless a Joel Nubley-style arrival comes, it's they are looking like they're going to be in a relegation scrap and that's unbelievable given yes. where they were. Sometimes those perfect storms only you know, last so long and I, th- I think it's interesting. I don't know about everyone, but certainly from my point of view, it kind of felt like, especially coming up to that Kilmarnock game last season, it felt like you know everyone and their dog wanted our growth to, to go up just almost out of the curiosity to see what would happen. And yeah, it's just what's happened since I don't think anyone really could have seen and yeah, it must be a a worrying time, especially being so close for these are both supporters to maybe look like it's it's on the slide, but yeah. I think we can say that Ali Love Strunes have been pumped up and that Bonnie Rook have arrived because behind us is what sounds like a fairground, but what I'm reliably informed is a Scottish League 2 dressing room. Yes, I don't think anyone uh, we didn't see this coming, did we? For <laughs> putting ourselves here, but um 
maybe it's maybe it's interesting to listen to. I don't maybe know. People are enjoying the background music. If you're into your kind of hardcore music, you'll enjoy the background music. Bold prediction. Welcome back to the Rock and Go podcast and to Bold Predictions, where me and Chris McMillan show our outstanding knowledge of the lower leagues by accurately predicting who will be top of each of the SPFL's lower leagues at the end, or well, when we start our next podcast at the end of the season, we will get an award presented to one of us, probably for whoever is correct, but we'll know the leagues inside out, so we'll both be tied on points with Obviously. the marks. Yes. Yep. So, uh, I suppose the easiest one for us to start on, looking ahead to when we'll be recording our next podcast, is Chris McMillan, who do you think will be top of League Two? Uh, I'm going to go with Dumbarton. Yes, I think that might be a good shout. Uh, <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, it, obviously it's been a great start. Uh, could be an excellent start after the Bonnie Rig game, we don't know yet. But um, And as I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, the, the longer this run goes on, the more uh, sort of a cushion you build up for yourself. And um, yeah, that could really prove crucial. But I'm going to say I think it'll be top by the time we do the next podcast, yeah. I agree. And I admired your Lampardian transition there. And, uh, <laughs> kind of joking comment to know, but in all seriousness, yeah. <laughs> Sounds in all seriousness, that you know, the man could lose uh, <laughs> in the next couple of games and still be top, you know. So yeah, and it does feel like League Two is going to be the league where teams are taking points off each other. So should Suns lose today or, or lose to Stranraer or whoever, then the chances are that teams around them are also going to be losing games. So I would say you're probably correct on that one. Uh, league One. League One. Now I have been saying this since the summer, really, since before the season started, and <laughs> yeah, I'm still kind of going to go down the same road but League One I have no idea I I really thought before the start of the season that I, th- I thought it would be a, a really competitive division I thought it could have been a situation where you know perhaps you might have had uh, Kelty Peterhead and maybe Edinburgh kind of maybe fighting to stay out of the bottom two places and then I, I was thinking I think everyone from there up would probably fancy at least getting in the playoffs Edinburgh City have already smashed that to pieces Sorry, FC Edinburgh, excuse me. Um, they've already we need smashed a that to pieces. For that now. Yes. <laughs> like a little, a little bagpipe, maybe. <laughs> um, but I am really, really not sure. I think I've, I've been impressed with Dunfermline's start. I, I think if I had to stick my neck out, I'd maybe say them. But I'm not entirely sure. I've not got the fixtures uh, here right in front of me. But I still think even if they are top come the uh, the next podcast I think it will still be a, quite an open season with a lot of clubs that will fancy themselves even if they're not in that top spot I think Dunfermline are probably the sensible pick so therefore I've gone from Montrose who everyone knows that I admire greatly and relish the opportunity to talk about but Montrose historically don't start seasons particularly well and then pick up pace as they go on uh, this season they've actually started alright they're third in the league at the moment and looking at the fixtures they've got Alloa today so now I've said that they'll get battered by Alloa uh, but they've got coming up, they've got Edinburgh, FC, FC, Ed- they've got the team formerly known, the artist formerly known as Edinburgh City. <laughs> they've got Airdrie at home, I'm not really quite sure what to make of Airdrie anymore. They have quite a thin squad, they got battered obviously the other week by they who shall not be named. Um, but they've still got decent enough players and Reese McCabe kind of looks like he knows what he's doing I think. Um, and then Montrose have Clyde at Broadwood and Falkirk at home. I think that they could pick up a decent number of points from there. They seem to have a bit of a hex over Clyde at Broadwood, which uh, I've noticed. And Falkirk, again, another club, like, feels feels like for about six or seven years now, you've expected Falkirk to be a lot better than they are, and it just isn't happening for them. So, yeah, I'd fancy Montrose to pick up a decent wee run of points in that, even more so if they can get Rory McAllister up. But 
fully firing and bagging the goals as he has done throughout his career. Do you imagine they'll be there or thereabouts towards the end of the season in a way this might be one of the last opportunities to, if they're going to make that jump into the championship, you know the time may be now but... Yeah, this team's cycle feels like this mm, is maybe exactly. a, it's maybe just over the peak, maybe. Um, but they freshen things up a wee bit, bringing in McAllister especially, bringing in uh, um, Ross Sinclair. I knew it was in there. I wanted to say uh, Ross Lyons, but he he's plays for Clyde and I got him mixed up with Blair Lyons. But Ross Sinclair and goals. They've identified a couple of weaknesses they had. They've rectified it. And I suppose the only unfortunate thing from Montrose is that Falkirk now have a very decent manager and Dunfermline are in the league but there's no reason why Montrose can't, can't run them close for that title uh, Looking up to the championship who have you gone for? Uh, I wondered whether you'd just be hating on me because I'm taking all the easy options in uh, League 2 and League 1 but I don't know if this is about as wild as I'm going really, I'm going to go Partick Thistle um, uh, since the last podcast they've beaten Wraith and Arbroath and we've also just we've touched a wee bit on Arbroath and uh, the troubles that they're having. I think they were due to play air, and I think that game was postponed last weekend, which <laughs> would certainly have been an interesting one. Uh, I don't know when it's rearranged to. Um, I, I might be wrong, but... Uh, and they've got Cove, uh, Cove at home um, at the time of recording, and I fancy them to, to beat them, uh, as Cove have just been on a, on a terrible run it's without a winning five I think and basically all we need to do is probably win one game by the time we do the next podcast because of the way the fixtures are landed and you might well be top of the league so yeah I, I agree with you 100% on Thistle I think the big thing that stood out for me about Thistle when I was looking through it is the strength and depth they've had yeah I really like their business yeah, they, yeah I mean Ian McCall was always good in a transfer window for signings that you look at and you go hmm yeah, mm. quite fancy the look at that but you look at bringing on players like Danny Mullen and Anton Dowds in the championship bringing them on they're yeah. not good enough to start because you've got Brian Graham there like yeah they have a fantastic strength and depth in that league and I really I think Dundee started the season's league favourites and I think they have a pretty clued up manager in Gary Boyer they have a kind of underwhelming squad and I think Thistle's squad just excites me a wee bit more like Thistle are on the telly I probably want to watch them a wee bit more than, than watch Dundee so yeah, likewise, I've gone for Partick Thistle on that one. Oh, there we go, sharing the spoils, I would imagine, <laughs> perhaps then. So apologies to all the clubs for the woeful run of form that follows this. But don't worry, we'll be back at some point next month. I'm trying to think of what date it is, but that might change if there's another royal death or COVID or funerals or whatever else that we take days off football there for. There might well be something, yeah. Yeah, there might be something. You can't count anything in this sport, as it turns out. And before we end, we need to uh, utter the magic words which we forgot last time. Please like and subscribe. Yes, we have to do all of that. Like, yep. subscribe, comment. Um, what what do these other popular people online do? Is that it? Mm, yeah, I think that seems a bit right. Yeah, we'll be we'll get clued up in time for the next podcast. But that is all from us for now. Please do all those things that Chris just mentioned and make it worthwhile for us doing this because it's great to know people are listening. As we always said, if you tweet the club, you tweet either of us, then we will think about getting back to you uh, at some point. Or if there's anybody you want to see on the podcast or anybody listening who wants to come on the podcast, Ooh. somebody says, you know, Paddy Flannery's an avid listener to your podcast and he'd love to be on it. Paddy, give me a shout. <laughs> or anybody else with any links to DFC who fancies it. Get in touch with us. But for now, that is all. We will be back next month. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs>